Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We had a big mortgage. We didn't have any savings. We were not in a position to buy a yacht and take time off work and sail around part of the world. But we knew that we were going to make it happen. That was a clip from today's guest, Erin Carey. She is a public relations expert. She is here to share with you how you, on your own, can get featured in those big publications, websites, major media. You know, at some point, I think everybody has something they want to promote. And it's good to know how you can do PR for yourself if you want to be able to do that for your company or for something that you're starting. You'll hear who should invest their time in getting PR in the first place, some resources that I'm sure you've never heard about before, and much more. But that's just part of this conversation. We also get into Erin's story and how she was able to kickstart a whole new life built around travel, specifically living on a boat with her whole family and traveling the world. And sometimes these types of changes happen over a period of time. They're discussed. They're kind of figured out. Other times they can really be decided in a moment. And she shares that moment. It happened for her in this conversation. She also talks about the thing that really pushed her over the edge and caused her to break the golden handcuffs forever. And we discuss the challenges of being on the road as well. It's one thing I love about these in-depth conversations is getting into the tough stuff about living on a boat, living around the world, and having that nomadic lifestyle. So plenty going on in this conversation for everybody. I know you're going to love it. Plus, I want to give a shout out to somebody in the community that brought some tears to my eyes right before this recording. You'll hear all about that. And I'm going to share my number one takeaway from this conversation, something I was reminded about that really is my favorite part or one of my favorite parts of being a business owner and having that lifestyle business mentality. So all of that and much more happening right now. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is 
is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you wonder why I'm so hyped all the time when I'm recording these intros, it's because I'm at least 45 cups of coffee into the day. (laughs) All right, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but it's the afternoon here, and believe it or not, the ice and the snow is starting to melt here in Norway. It's actually starting to melt. I've been precariously balancing on ice for months, (laughs) constantly almost falling. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to the spring. How are you? Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening to this. We've got a great show for you today, as you heard at the top. We're diving into some DIY PR expert tips and being able to get coverage in major media is a valuable tool for everybody to understand, to be aware of, because even if you don't have anything to promote right now, you never know where life will lead. Maybe you'll have a cause you believe in, you want to get out there to the world. Maybe it'll be your own business. Maybe you'll have a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding project at some point. Who knows? I mean, part of the thing I like to do with this show is to bring a lot of different perspectives on the long-term and nomadic travel lifestyle but also mix in some of those practical skills and things that can help you in other aspects of your life. And it's a wonderful mix that we have for you today of exactly that. I know you're going to love it. And be sure to stick around on the back end. I want to share a shout out somebody in this community who uh, really inspired me by a message. It's actually an audio message I'm going to share with you that I received. And A little something that this interview reminded me of, something I love about lifestyle business. So stick around for that. Now, let's slip and slide into this wonderful conversation, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Let's all take a deep breath. The trials and tribulations of being a digital nomad. Right. It's not like we can just rush out to the Apple store and buy a new one. (laughs) You can't rush off the sailboat in Sicily and and run to the Apple store? No. no. Erin? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk to you about what you're doing on a boat and nomad life and, of course, get your expert advice on how to get media coverage. That's something, you know, kind of help everybody. So uh, if you are somebody who has ever wanted to get featured on major TV programs or in big magazines, newspapers, or on highly trafficked websites, listen up. Whether you are an employee or an entrepreneur, at some point, you might want to get media coverage to promote something, perhaps a new product, business, charity, blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or something else. How do you convince those big media outlets to publish something about you or your company? And is it even worth the time and effort? Well, today... I have an expert here to help you do just that. Aaron Carey is the founder of Rome Generation. It's a PR agency focused on helping travel, leisure, and luxury brands, experts, and destinations share their unique and inspiring story with the world. She has helped clients get featured in Forbes, BBC News, and CNN Travel, among other major publications. You can learn more at RomeGeneration.com. And we'll link to that in the show notes. We're going to get her advice on how to conduct your own PR to get media buzz, discover why she left the rat race to live on this sailboat that she's on now as we're recording this and much more. So Aaron, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Hello. Hello. This has been a long time in the works. So thank you so much for having me. 
It has indeed. Yeah. And when we got on the call, we're on video as we're recording this, but I wasn't sure what was going on in your life. Like if you were actually living on the boat, what you were doing, but then clearly it looked like a boat environment. And then I heard one of my favorite noises because I'm an audio nerd. I do a podcast, so that's expected. The creaking sounds of the ropes that sound you hear in the docks with the ropes, the tension, the rope. Anyway, so if you hear that in this interview, just enjoy it. Enjoy. You're, you're catching the sailboat vibe. So do you, what do you think about that? Is that like a calming sound for you, Aaron? You know what? When we were back home in Australia, there was a period that we, we had to go back home. And so my children were having trouble sleeping and I, I'm like, what can I do? So I Googled, this, this is actually a thing, um, yacht noises and I played it and they were like, oh my God, that's so good. Leave it on, mum. Leave your phone in here. We want to sleep to this all night long. And it was just that creaky kind of noises. Yeah. Because we're on the dock at the moment in a marina and it's a really windy day. And I actually had sent my husband out earlier going, please, can you stop that sound? I've got a podcast interview coming up. <laughs> he, did his, he did his best, but it's like 40 knots. So he's like, we live on a boat. There's really not much else I can do. So I'm glad that you appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, this is a travel podcast, so I think we always appreciate ambient travel-themed noises in the background of this show. So the kids relaxed because they've been living on a boat for so long that that's just calming to them? Is that the deal? Yeah, I guess so. They, I think it was... It was harder to move back than we anticipated and so they were having kind of a bit of troubles fitting back in at school and trouble sleeping in a bed that wasn't moving anymore and also being separated like in their own rooms. Like when you live on a boat, it's small and we're all together all the time and we went home to this big house. Well, you know, it was a regular size house but it felt enormous and yeah, they're all like, we actually all want to sleep in the one room together. And can you put the boat noises on? So yeah, that was cute. <laughs> How old are they? They are uh, 12, 11 and 7 now. But when we first set off, they were like 3, 7 and 8 or something. So yeah, young. Yeah, this is crazy. Okay, I... I don't know anything about how this happened. I do know you grew up in Wagga Wagga. Is that right? <laughs> I did. Wagga Wagga. I've yep. just been wanting to say Wagga Wagga all morning, <laughs> so I finally got to say it. So nice. They named it twice. Yeah. What's it like growing up in Wagga Wagga, the ninth largest inland city in Australia, by the way? Oh, there you go. You know more facts about it than I do. Uh, look, <laughs> it, it was good. It was fine. Uh, it was an inland town. We never saw the ocean uh, besides the one um, holiday that we would go on every year with my family. Um, we'd go to like a caravan park or camp in a tent and we'd drive the five, six hours. And it was always dad would announce, okay, we're going to come over the hill and we'll be able to see the ocean in 10 seconds. And we'd all kind of count down and it was a big deal to see the ocean coming from an inland town. Uh, so it's rather ironic now that I live on a boat. It's also ironic because I grew up sailing with my dad in dinghies on an inland lake because Wagga, Wagga doesn't have the ocean, um, but we have a lake. But it's not like a lake that you might imagine would be in Canada or, <laughs> you know, the Rocky Mountains or something. It's it's um, brown and it's probably about as big as a football field. And, um, yeah, we would just sail around in little boats. And Dad would drag me along because he used to teach kids how to sail these boats. And I had no 
desire to be there whatsoever. I wanted to be at the mall with my girlfriends. I was super embarrassed to be at the, dragged along to this sailing school, but, you know, mum needed a break every now and then, so dad would take a kid each weekend and, you know, every third weekend it would be my go. And so that's why it's quite ironic that I now live on a boat and am a sailor because I never, ever would have predicted that. That's really interesting because that being a part of your childhood was unexpected to me because you didn't live near the ocean, like you said. But I saw the inland lake when I was looking at the map and the area around Wagga Wagga. I just didn't say <laughs> Wagga Wagga again. It's funny because sometimes I've, I've noticed some patterns here uh, amongst interviews where there are things that happen in people's childhood that kind of manifest themselves later on through their travels. Even though at that time you didn't necessarily enjoy the experience, on some level, did you feel like it was a positive experience from your childhood uh, and and that was maybe part of the reason that carried you into uh, the sailing life or am I just getting too armchair psychologist here <laughs> no not at all you know I've never actually thought about it that way and I'm a big believer in manifestation and on some level I think I enjoyed the you know the adventure and every now and then, um, like Dad upgraded his boat slightly, became like a 16-foot boat. So just for reference, our boat is 47-foot. We never had a yacht anywhere like this. But it, the biggest he got I think was around 16-foot, which had a little cabin which would allow all five of us to kind of squeeze into and sit out. You know, a couple could be down below, a couple could be up sailing. And so Dad would t- tow that away on the back of the car to the ocean and every now and then we'd go for a little holiday sailing around on the ocean and I loved that I loved being towed behind the boat on a rope um, and sometimes we'd take it to a dam so you know what I shouldn't say that I didn't like it because I did enjoy those parts but I think I kind of forgot all of those and I just remember the main thing I remember is to being taken to these sailing lessons and all the cool kids were in their speedboats and here I was with you know the hat with the flap at the back and the the zinc plastered on my face and I was mortified all the cool kids were zooming past and here I am stuck in this little dinghy and I got given the name um, Sailor Girl which was said as really? an insult yeah that was my nickname at school Sailor Girl like you know that's meant to be really mean <laughs> but as a, a 10 12 sort of year old or whatever way. Yeah, exactly. They were saying it to be mean, but I mean, it's ridiculous now because it's barely, it's not even a mean word. Like, I'm, am I fine with it? Call me Sailor Girl. Look at me now. You know, I live on a yacht. What are you doing with your life? Yeah. Look at you guys <laughs> all in your cubicles. Aaron's <laughs> exactly. out here. Yeah. Look at Sailor Girl now. Here look we go. Bam. Now. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. That's, yeah. that's awesome. I can understand that. I mean, as a teenager, of course, you, yeah, a lot of that stuff is heightened too around you know, what people are thinking about you and, you know, the situation you're in and how embarrassing it can feel when you're out there with your, I mean, I can imagine all of that. So that's really interesting that you came from that background and you are where you are today. I want to figure out how that happened really, because I was on your LinkedIn and you worked for 18 years Mm -hmm. and two months as a senior security analyst for the Department of Defense. Now, um, I'm guessing there's a lot you can't talk about <laughs> with this position, perhaps. Like, well, if I do, I have to kill you. You know how it works. But yeah, yeah and look. I don't want to die today. So, <laughs> but yes, I mean, 
What? I, I expected, you know, to see a whole slew of just PR work and, and different things. How did you, first of all, what was that like working at the Department of Defense? I, what can you talk openly about? Yeah, I can. Parents? Absolutely. Um, you know what? It, that job set me up for what I'm doing now without me knowing it. Uh, I interviewed people. So I would do several interviews a week um, where I'd be on your side and I would interview people all about their life and their background. And I got really good at cutting to the chase, getting out the juicy bits, knowing what was important, knowing what wasn't, taking those nuggets of gold and then writing up reports, getting to the point of the report and coming to a decision. So I was assessing them whether or not they could get their security clearance to have access to government information. Um, So it was a communications role of sorts because I was interviewing, I was writing reports, I was, you know, making decisions, all that kind of thing. Um, It was interesting. I learned a lot about people, a lot about how normal most people's lives are but also how unique some people's lives can be nothing shocks me anymore I'm also incredibly nosy and that was probably partly my personality to start with but now I'm just you know I'm that person that asks the slightly inappropriate questions sometimes or I get too familiar with people quite quickly which I think is a skill in itself but you're not afraid to go there I'm not afraid to go there and sometimes my husband's like Sorry, guys, got to apologize. Erin used to work in, you know, this is what she used to do. And like most people think it's funny and love it. But, you know, I, I used to have to ask about people's sex life, you know, and not blush or be shocked by the answer. <laughs> so it's interesting. So that's how I, it was a great job. It was a safe job. It was all of the things that you would want in the rat race of your job. You know what I mean? Like we had good benefits. I got three lots of, um, maternity leave we got pay rises regularly I worked my way up the ladder and you know got promotions after promotions and I never left because it was safe and the golden handcuffs exactly and every now and then I thought about it and something would happen to keep me back you know to keep me there and then every now and then I'd, I'd broach it with my parents oh you don't want to lose that job it's such a good job and yeah it was, it was, I don't regret it. I do wish that I left earlier. I wish I had have had the courage to do something earlier, but you know, I'm here now. So it is what it is. Yeah. Boy, I'm glad you're not interviewing me right now. I don't know if I'm <laughs> able to talk about all of all those things, those <laughs> questions you would ask. Um, <laughs> well, I think this brings up an important point for people listening and no, no matter where you're at in, in your life journey, Never discount the experiences you're getting at a at a current job or in your life at this time. Like even if it seems nominal or it doesn't seem like it's going to contribute to your future or some way. I'm always fascinated by these conversations because it 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 tends to be untrue. It's it's a myth, right? Like somebody might be working in a restaurant job or something and be like, you know, I'm never gonna get out of here. This is not doing anything for me or for my life or whatever, but You know, I think back to even being a short order cook in high school and that taught me multitasking in a a very visceral way. You know, when you get like 10 tickets that you have to cook people's breakfast, you're like, bam, your brain just starts working in a certain way. So, I mean, I think there are there every experience is valuable and you never know how it's going to play into your life later on. So enjoy it while you're there and make the most of it, I guess. You said you kept 
you kept putting off leaving because of all the reasons you mentioned, yet at a certain point you did leave. So what was that process like for you? How long? It sounds like you might have been thinking about it for a while, planning, plotting, and scheming, but there's a lot of soul searching in a decision like that, right? Because it's a big life change. So what what did the soul searching portion of that look like for you? Well, you know what? It it played out a little bit differently to that. So we were, uh, what I like to say, a normal, regular family, whatever that is. But um, I think I was working full-time or maybe four days a week at that stage. I'd been a variance of full-time, three days, four days, depending how many children I had at the time. We didn't have anything exciting planned out. Our excitement was one probably overseas holiday a year and but, you know, life was good. We had no complaints. We had a nice house. We lived near the beach, good family, three kids, all, you know, nothing to complain about. But one night we sat down and we were watching Netflix and my husband just randomly chose something. I had no input. I didn't really care. I was scrolling on my phone. You know how it is. Like you finally sit down at night, you're exhausted. And um, he puts on a documentary and it was called Maiden trip and it was about Laura Decker the youngest girl to ever sail around the world and at the time we had a one-year-old and like a four and five-year-old I think they were and we watched that documentary I remember like in silence after a couple of minutes I put my phone down I never looked at it again for the whole doco and I remember the the credits rolling and we literally turned to each other and went wow let's do that (laughs) it was that simple and we moved, we moved to the computer, we Googled families sailing around the world. We didn't know if it was possible, if it was like ludicrous, if we were going to, you know, kill ourselves and our children because it was just so crazy. But we found that there were actually plenty of other families out there doing it. And straight away, our motto kind of became, if they can do it, why can't we? And literally within weeks, we had decided that we were doing it. We told our friends we told our family and we didn't know how we were going to make it happen we have we had a big mortgage we didn't have any savings we were not in a position to buy a yacht and take time off work and sail around part of the world but we knew that we were going to make it happen and it was two years and two months from that date that we flew out of Australia on one-way tickets to go and see our yacht for the very first time over in the Caribbean. So on that um, sabbatical, it was uh, we, we knew it was a sabbatical and we both took leave without pay from our jobs. So it was never a thought of quitting my job at that stage because I needed that job more than ever to make as much money as we could in those two years. And then I also needed that job because I would never have got this at any other job, which is, you know, in hindsight, amazing that maybe it was good that I didn't leave because I was able to take two years leave without pay. I mean, no job's going to give you that in the private sector. And very few jobs, even in the public sector, would give you that. But because I'd been there for so long, um, they didn't want to lose me. So I got given two years leave of that pay and we went off on our sabbatical and, you know, had this amazing time. It wasn't until we ran out of money, our two years was over, we came home, that we were – I was then doing my PR as well at that stage. I started that on the boat. And so this is becoming all a bit of a big story. But in answer to your question – it was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
was when um, we were back in Australia, I had to go back to my job and I'm trying to do my my PR company that I had started up probably about 12 months prior, um, doing that as a side hustle every other spare moment outside of working in my job, which I was working about three days a week. It was that, A, everyone was miserable at work and it just like brought well, me wait, down. When you were on sabbatical, you were still working? Or? No, no, no. I took two, I got leave without pay for two after years. After the two years. So this you is came after back. the two years is over. Yes. We're back in Australia. We're back in our house. We're back in the rat race, like full yeah. on straight Must back have been into it shocking culture shock like it was culture. and like yeah. the kids struggled we struggled like we came back with nothing like obviously we still had a house and most of our furniture but we'd sold cars and everything so we came back and we knew that within two weeks we'd both get a paycheck and we'd be we'd be fine after that we'd just start start again we were great at saving we'd done it before we'd just keep digging our way out we got a car after a couple of weeks and you know we just kind of kept getting back to normal and within about six months we were fine back to normal back to living in the rat race full on and my boss by this stage coronavirus had started and my boss emailed me one day and she's like the cells in the spreadsheet you've done them the wrong color and you know you haven't written this correctly and you know like that was so menial like the most ridiculous menial tasks and like a we're the same level. I'm like way above this. I don't need you to tell me this. But B, I've sailed across an ocean, you know, like <laughs> we kept our kids alive for two years on the ocean and we've sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and you're complaining about the colours of the cells in a friggin' spreadsheet. I just can't do this anymore. I just cannot have a boss. I cannot be told what to do. I've had two years of freedom and adventure and absolutely like living life to the fullest to come back to be working in an office where by that stage uh, it was at the start of the pandemic and I had to move my mouse every 30 seconds or my little button would turn red and they were taking notice of how you know whose button was red for what percentage of the day so I was like having anxiety I'm like moving my mouse every two seconds I'd go to the toilet and I'd say to one of the kids can you move my mouse every 30 seconds just so they don't know that I'm taking a break Like it was ridiculous. And I just caught out to my husband in the next room. He was working like in the other office doing his online job at home. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And he said, just quit. And I'm like, that was it. We had talked about it before. It was always like, it's not quite right. I've just got to get my business just that little bit more, just one more client. And in the end, I was like, I'm just quitting I know that I'm going to make this work. Um, there's no way I'm going to fail as if I'm going to quit this amazing job that I've had and then also just let my business fail. It's not going to happen. So I sent the email like right there and then and two weeks later I've quit and I've never looked back. And I like reached my level of income like within two months or something that I was getting and surpassed it now and it's I've never once thought about it and there's been zero regrets the funny thing is, like, you hear that all the time. No one ever has a regret about quitting their job, usually. Usually everyone kind of always says, oh, I had no regrets quitting. So I worried that I'd be that anomaly that didn't 
that did regret it and that failed but thankfully I wasn't and yeah here we are now but (laughs) so if you're listening to this and you're thinking of quitting your job and it's like destroying your soul and you have a backup obviously I don't condone like just quitting without a backup but I had a backup I had my business I'd built it I've been building it for you know 12 or 18 months by that stage I just had to back myself and I did and it worked out thankfully yeah wow amazing congratulations I think about the sabbatical that was sounds like that was a really cool way to transition to this. I mean, you came back and you gave it the old college try. You tried to settle back in and do the normal thing, but wasn't for you guys. And and if it was, maybe maybe you were done with the traveling, then you would have been set up for that too. And I know not everybody can take a 2-year sabbatical from their job and have it waiting for them. You know, there are other versions of of that where you can set yourself up for, you know, all right, if I don't like this then or if I'm just tired, I can change my life again. I mean, I think it's cool that it was a chunk of time that you guys got to go out and give this a try. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. What what was that two years like? I mean, how did... uh... It was amazing, you know, it was as amazing as you would expect it to be. Yeah, we weren't working, we had this new yacht, we were in the Caribbean, like the kids were little. 
it was awesome. There were we had lots of friends over there. It was prior to the coronavirus, so families were everywhere. There were kids everywhere. It was like a summer camp for the kids. It was like one big party, way too much like rum punch and just good times. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was also really hard. It was definitely the hardest thing we've ever done. It continues to be hard living on a boat. Um, What's but, what are the biggest challenges? Uh, the biggest, honestly, the biggest challenge is homeschool. It's not even the boat. It's just homeschooling our kids. I don't know if we're not cut out for it, but both my husband and I really struggle. I don't do it anymore, thankfully, because I run my business. But So he's responsible for doing the homeschool now, um, and it's really hard on him. He tries his hardest, but we've got three boys. They are rambunctious and egg each other on and don't do as they're told and fight and carry on and don't want to do it and I've got a sore tummy and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it causes a lot of stress. That, so that's number one. Um, number two is probably, the you know, the boat breaks a lot. That's normal whether you have a brand-new boat, a 100-foot boat or a 20-foot boat, things on boats break. We're living in this, like, really crazy environment. Um, and so there's always something that needs fixing. Um, so my husband kind of has two crappy jobs. A, he has to do homeschool, and then when he finishes homeschool, he's got to fix everything that's broken. <laughs> Luckily, he he likes that part because he's really handy and hands-on. Um, I, I think the other part for me is being isolated from or, you know, away from family and friends I I like like I'm fairly social I, but I think luckily my job provides these opportunities where I get to talk to people I've got my team it's not the same though and this time around because if people haven't already figured we went back to Australia we decided we can't do this we sold our house and we came back to our boat and now we're on like leg two um, this time around it's been the coronavirus the entire time that we've been out here and I can count the number of friends we've made on one hand compared to the Caribbean. It was like every day was come to my boat for sundowners, come for a barbecue, come for dinner, let's meet on the beach. We've had hardly any of that this whole time. So and that's just because people can't really be around each other. Yeah, I don't know. Or, we've been trying to figure that out. I think it's a bit of both. We're in the Mediterranean. Um, so there are not many Americans, Canadians, Aussies, and maybe we're like the like-minded parties that <laughs> all get together normally. Um, they, what else? I think we figured that maybe people are just used to not really socialising or we're all kind of become hermits because of coronavirus. So people aren't making the effort to catch up and hang out and come knock on our hull and say hi and you know, I'm also working a lot, so I'm not putting myself out there like I did probably in the Caribbean. Um, and there just aren't as many kids over here. And so my kids, we went a good three months with no no other children, and that was hard. The kids were, like, crying. They wanted to go back home. They were saying they're lonely, and that's, like, that pulls at your heartstrings and makes you doubt that you've made the right decision. But thankfully, we've arrived into Sicily here, and um, there are, are, like, 13 kids at this marina not huge but that for the Mediterranean is awesome and so like we're finally we have them children to play with and we put them into school because it was like either we go home or we figure out 
something oh, to get my husband a break. Was that hard to do to find a place to get them into it, school? Or it surprisingly wasn't. No, it, they're in an Italian local school up the road. I went. And you saw just the went principal. to the village and you're like, "Hey, can my kids go to school here?" <laughs> exactly. Really? I emailed, I emailed the principal like months in advance and just kind of said, "You know, we really want to integrate our children in the community, and we're willing to, um, you know." be involved in the school and help out and you know I made it sound as great for them as it was for us and he just said yeah come and see me when you arrive and I'm like I really want an answer because I would love to know that they're going but he wasn't willing to commit anyway we arrived literally the second day I was like right get on your bikes kids we're going to school and um yeah we went and went and saw the principal and yeah he's he enrolled them and they all are in like the equivalent grades to what they would be back in Australia and they don't speak a word of Italian and most of the people at school don't speak a word of English so we have literally thrown them in the deep end and yeah they they've just like this is a benefit of being a boat kid you just you're resilient and they've just taken it on the chin and they're just going to school in Italy, not knowing a word of what's going on. And I'm hoping that, yeah, within a few months they'll learn Italian and then they'll have another language under their belt. That's so wild. <laughs> what a wild life. I really appreciate hearing the struggles because that's why I love these podcasts as opposed to, you know, scrolling through social media and everything looks like everybody's living the dream all the time. And it's like, well, no, there are a lot of facets to a life like this. And when you go and live on the road, you're just living your life on the road. So you're going to have the ups and downs. There's just going to be different ups and downs than you might have at home, but it can't all be up all the time. Right. Are you then based in one place for multiple months? Is that how you guys do it? Or are you skipping around? Yeah. So there's, there's seasons when you're sailing. So you can never just sail for a year straight. Well, usually you can't. It depends how fast you want to move. But usually, like if you're in the Caribbean, there's the hurricane season and then the season where you can sail around. It's usually like six months on, six months off. In the Mediterranean, there's summer and there's winter. So in winter, it's like right now there's 40 knots. You wouldn't want to be out in an anchorage. It's just the weather's too unpredictable, the winds are too strong. It would just be dangerous. So most people find a marina and they kind of like hunker down for the winter. Um, And so usually that's like November through to April. We didn't get here because we also have to deal with the visas and being Australian, we can only stay in inside the EU for three months and we have to get out of the EU for three months. So we were in Tunisia before we arrived here and then we arrived here in about December. And then when we got the kids into school, um, the principal wanted to know that we would stay for as much of the school remaining school year as possible. Um, and I had heard that there was this thing called a bilateral agreement that allows Australians to get an additional three months in Italy. So thankfully for that reason, we've got six months here. Uh, and that's it, it is, isn't actually the longest we've stayed in one place. When we were in the Caribbean, we stayed in Grenada for eight months, but that was more kind of on and off, but in total we were there eight months. Yeah, we're slow travellers. Um, it's hard enough to kind of live this lifestyle without also moving every day. Obviously, like when you sail, I can't work, the kids can't do school, so we usually stay in a place for about two months and then we try and sail on a weekend and then, you know, get set up again to start work on a Monday. Um, I work 
essentially full-time flexible hours but essentially full-time but I still feel like I get to see and do a lot of things because you know I don't have the obligations of living a normal life I'm going to the school meetings and the having to um you know drive back and forth from work or we've got a lot of spare time I guess is what I'm saying so luckily I get to also travel the world and see see places but you know I'm not going to sugarcoat it I do I work I work full-time and some people will be like well what's the point of being out here but I kind of argue that I still feel like I, I get to see and really experience the culture because we stay in each place for quite a while. Well, sure. And a part of the point is that you guys weren't happy the way you were living before. So. Well, the thing is we weren't <laughs> unhappy though either. So I don't. we weren't running away from anything. It's just that this really sparked something inside of us and – I think we knew that we didn't want to just do the rat race forever. I knew that there was something else inside of me. I didn't know what it was. I, If I had have guessed, I would have said that we would have, um, you know, moved to Spain and worked as expats for a year or two or something. I'd never dreamt it would be this or this crazy, but I knew that I wasn't going to be just uh, be happy with working the nine to five forever. You weren't going to spend another 18 years. Exactly. That was the thing. We went back home and we went to like all these high school tours and we went to enroll my son. And as we're handing in the forms, we're like, this is, this means like 12 years or more by the time we get all three of them through high school of like, this is it. This is like, you go to work, you go on your one holiday a year. I just don't think we can do that. I can't commit to that life. So then we just threw it all out and went what the hell let's just sell the house and go and be free if it if it doesn't work out you know we can go back we can buy another house if we have to be it's not might not be as great a house because we'll be out of the market for a while but who cares you know we lived on a boat for a few years it's worth it yeah what a wonderful attitude and sounds like you use some of your pr mojo with the principal of that school <laughs> well <laughs> <Totally>. done. <laughs> We're going to get into that in a minute because I, I do want to get your advice around all the stuff we talked about when we introduced you. But I just had a couple more sailing questions. What What is it like to sail across an ocean? I, uh, for some reason, when I think about, and it's of course I have no sailing knowledge whatsoever. When I think about throwing my kids, getting my family on a sailboat, and going across an entire ocean, you must feel so vulnerable just being in the middle of the ocean. Nobody around, nobody to come save the day if something Mm -hmm. happens. It sounds a little terrifying, to be honest. (laughs) It does. When you say it like that, it does. But honestly, it just felt like we were sailing across a lake. (laughs) It's so weird. For the first week and a half, it was blue skies, flat seas, and it was like we were just, yeah, going sailing across a big lake. Um, and also because in the cockpit you've got the chart plotter and it's almost like a video game. You see a little dot and so you might have, you know, five centimetres either side of you and so it just feels like five centimetres. Oh, yeah, we're not that far from land. You know, Europe's there and America's there and we're just here. It just it never really felt real, I guess. I never once felt scared. I never felt worried. But, you know, touch wood, we also didn't have anything go terribly wrong um and like it's one of my 
proudest achievements. I mean, I didn't do a great deal. Of course, I was there and I did contribute to the night watches and did all the sailing and, I, you know, I'm not, not downplaying that. I did obviously do a lot, but it's my husband, I think, who did the, you know, he prepared all the boat. I had faith in his ability that he had our boat, like, had spares for spares and, you know, I knew that if something broke, he'd be able to fix it. Um, we we did the hard work. It wasn't a, a last-minute decision. We spent months preparing the boat. We had all the safety gear. We had all of the, like, contingency plans and shore support and, um, yeah, so I don't want to make people think that it was just a, a rush last-minute, just took a chance and sailed across an ocean kind of thing. We did do a lot of work for it. But, um I'll be super proud of that till the day I die. I reckon it's just awesome to be able to say, yeah, we sat across an ocean 18 months earlier. We literally didn't know how to move the boat from A to B and then we sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> I think it's one of the joys of uh, travel when you look at a map and, and you see a place on the map and, and you can you know what it smells like and what it tastes like and what it sounds like and some of the experience of being there, it's satisfying and you can look at a, a globe and look at an entire ocean and know what it's like to go across that. Something about that excites me too. Maybe I'm, uh, I get in these conversations and then, the, you know, for, <laughs> for the next like week and a half, I'm going to probably be trying to talk my wife into, uh, yeah, we're on a boat or something, even <laughs> yeah. though I get seasick. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Plenty of people actually get seasick. They just make it work. Do you get over it? A lot do. There are the few who don't and uh, I feel dreadful for them they must just be in hell well, how do you but, live on yeah i mean my daughter can't get in the car and drive for a half hour without getting sick so i don't know i don't yeah. know if this is the sailing family yeah <laughs> but she might be <laughs> fine on the boat you don't know mine were all fine on the boat and now that when we get back in a car they get car sick so i'm like how can you cross an ocean but then now get sick in the car i think it's because yeah. we're out of practice we don't drive in a car very often anymore <laughs> well, let's dive into your expertise in public relations, PR, getting media coverage, media buzz, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I'm using all the industry lingo, I guess. And, and what I really wanted to focus on here is how somebody can conduct their own PR in some ways. But of course, if you want to go next level and, or you need help doing it, that's what you do. I mean, you can tell people really quickly because it sounds like you work with your PR company's Rome generation. So you work with a lot of people that are, you know, Roaming sailing around. the world and adventurers. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that kind of your niche? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so travel, leisure and luxury is our, you know, big umbrella. But if you kind of come down more, I love working with like-minded people. So yachting obviously is a big part of what we do. Um, adventurers, people who are living life differently, anyone who if you appreciate the quirkiness that your PR agency is run from a yacht, then you're probably like the right kind of client for us. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to share the stories of people that are doing amazing things with their life in the hopes that by sharing those stories, you know, I've got a hand in encouraging more people to experience the gift of travel because it's life-changing. And so to be able to, even if I'm not promoting my own business, but if I'm helping promote another business who is a tour agency or a boutique hotel or, you know, they run a ropes course in the Azores or whatever it is, if it's something that's going to make people step out of their comfort zone and experience life, then we're all for it. Yeah. I mean, that's 
I'm sure one of the joys of what you do and, and for me as well, getting to share these conversations and stories and it's inspiring and it gives you so many ideas. You get the practical, but there's a lot, so much around it and stories are a huge part, of course, of the PR process. And I guess the first question is, you know, is it even worth pursuing getting featured in, in major publications and things like that? Who should invest their time in doing PR? Yeah, look, you can PR anything. Um, so uh, there are publicists who promote pens or a bag of flour. Uh, you can promote a lipstick or anything. But obviously, we are in the travel, leisure and luxury space. And the kinds of businesses that benefit from this are, well, everyone can benefit from PR. But the things that you're looking to gain through PR is that you're going to raise your credibility you're going to raise your authority in your niche. You're going to become known as a thought leader. You're going to generate uh, brand awareness. So PR is a long-term strategy. It's not an overnight win. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's to, we're, you know, how do you measure the, the feeling that someone has when they read about you? That's really hard to measure, but they're the kinds of things that we're trying to to increase because you know if you think about it advertising well let's just say advertising and PR are two different things they're both necessary and I don't want you to think that PR is in place of the other marketing and um, PR are both necessary at the same time if you do them both together they're like they have the best results but advertising is what you say about yourself you know you've written the ad you're telling people what's happening can put it in a magazine, probably going to pay thousands of dollars. Um, if you wanted to get an ad in CNN, for example, you might be looking at $250,000. I mean, very few people are going to pay that. But if you wanted to have your your business advertised on that site, that's what it's going to cost you. And how much weight is it going to have? I mean, I know myself, if I see an ad, I'm like, yeah, oh, you know, okay, that vacuum looks interesting. But what I really am going to do is I'm going to Google it and then I'm going to hear what someone else has said about the vacuum. I mean, we all do that when we purchase of Amazon. I don't know about you, but I scroll straight to the reviews because I just want to know what people think of it. That's what PR is. PR is like your best friend saying something really good about you to a guy that, you know, is thinking of asking you out. <laughs> we compel journalists to write stories about um, your company and then those stories, because they've been written by a third party, we're not paying them to write the stories. We don't tell them what to say in the stories uh, or the articles or the, the features, whatever that, you know, kind of publicity you're getting. Those features contribute to the credibility of your business. And then you're able to put those logos on your website. And when you arrive to somebody's website and they've got these as seen in logos straight away it you believe that the business is credible and so we've maybe removed all of those months of building that no like and trust factor because straight up we're like oh they've been in Conan us travel and travel and leisure and on cnn travel this must be a good hotel or this must be an awesome tour company yeah no it makes sense and yes that I experience that often. I'm sure everybody listening does when you go somewhere and you see the as seen on. Well, oh, cool. Okay. They know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so that's, that's our job. So somebody opens up their laptop, 
they crack their knuckles. That's what I do. <laughs> and they're they're like, okay, I'm gonna get me some PR here. What what are the what are the steps people need to take to make that happen for themselves if you were gonna give them the DIY solution? Yeah. So the first thing I suggest is go to my website and download my freebie because that asks you a range of questions. And like I explained, I used to ask interview questions for a living. So I've really come up with like the most important questions that you need to ask yourself to get to the real nuts and bolts of your story. And you've got to think, okay, is this newsworthy? Is this of interest to an audience? Um, Because the journalists aren't doing us like a solid or a favor by writing the story. What they are doing is giving value to their readers. So you've got to think about story angles that really give something of value to the people that are going to be reading it. And then you've also got to come up with, okay, well, what's my target audience? Is it worth getting a story published in Women's Weekly if my product is targeted at men? No. And is it worth getting it published in a teen magazine if it's 60-year-olds who are my target audience? So you've really got to figure out who are your target audience, where do they hang out, what kind of publications do they read? Um, Then once you narrow that down, you've got your story angles, then you've got to figure out, okay, what journalists uh, write about this because now we've got to track them down and have they written stories like yours before? Can you imagine um, yourself in the headlines do like stacks of research, do Google searches, find stories that are similar to what you want to share, but they can't be the same, you know. So then you've got to kind of come up with a new angle or a different angle. And then you've got to track down that journalist's name and email address, which is not always simple. And then finally we're ready to write the email, which is called a pitch, and send it to them. So they say that it's called earned media for a reason. By the time you get an article published, like you've, you've really earned it because it takes a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of building relationships. Um, you know, that's the key to what we do here. Uh, but it, it's not to say that you can't land press if you're not a publicist and that you can't land press if you haven't built a relationship. You just have better results when you build relationships first. And so that means that you've then found that journalist on LinkedIn and you found them on Twitter and you've commented on their Instagram and you've kept this up for a few months and then once they receive the email from you, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I recognise that name. I'll actually open the email because they're receiving hundreds of pictures every day. To get an open is a win. To get a reply is like amazing, even if it's a no. Uh, we still kind of record that in our results and it's like, okay, they've opened our email. In future, they might say yes. So it's it's still a win. And then to get a yes, I'd love to interview you. It's like, hallelujah, oh, my God, the process works. But it's not easy and you have to have resilience and you have to have thick skin. So I think it's good to know that it's normal to get rejected. It's normal to not hear back whatsoever. And it's normal to have to email the same person numerous times before you get a reply. (laughs) So I guess if you know that and you don't take it personally, then it is possible to do your own PR, but you need to put in like a lot of time and effort to make sure that you're emailing the right person at the right time with the right story angle 
Is it newsworthy? Is there something else happening in the news right now that's going to make like what you're saying not valid or not important? Can you newsjack something that's happening in the media right now and say, uh, you know, with this new strain of the coronavirus, I'm actually an expert in, uh, you know, sanitizing hotel rooms and I'd love to offer my opinion on blah, blah, blah. That's kind of what you do. You've become really uh, involved in the news and the media and know what's going on and then try and come up with story angles that are fresh and that are going to provide value to the people that are going to read them. Mm. So breaking that down, strong story angle, figure out your target audience, find the journalists within that audience, write your pitch and send it. And, and then send get ignored it. And then, for a long time. Until yes, they be persistent. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the key is to send follow-ups. So you send your first email. And so that's usually like a two or three paragraph email, really concise. Um, what What's the story? Why is it interesting? And, you know, what, what value can you kind of add? And then in the follow-up, add a little bit more value and just be like, hey, just a polite follow-up. Did you get my last email? I'd love to share the story with you. And then the third follow-up is a little bit more general. Hey, just bumping this email up in case it was lost. Still have to chat with you. If you do all of that, you'll usually get a response. Well, you know, I say usually maybe if you've been a, doing it consistently for a while, but eventually you'll start getting a response around the second or third email. Um, so yeah, don't be disheartened if you don't get any responses from your first round of emails and you might need to send 100 emails to a hundred different people to get one result. <laughs> that's, that's just how it is. As you get better, you'll have to send fewer emails and you'll get more responses. But if, as long as you know that you have to be persistent, then it's, you can do it because you're not going to get disheartened. The minute you quit, obviously you're not going to get any results. So just keep going and you'll get there eventually. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. 
when someone's figuring out their story angle, how do we tell a compelling story? What are your tips there? Well, you've got to really dig deep. Um, what do other people, what questions are other people asking you? What do other people say you're good at? What What are other people coming to you and asking advice about? Um, what what makes people kind of like stop where they're doing and really listen to you and how are you serving other people? What value are you giving? Um, what transformations have you had in your life or has your product given somebody? Um, how are you helping other people? So, you know, to if you do something good, obviously don't, don't do good just to get publicity, but if you are doing something good, share it with the media um we love feel-good stories we love transformations we love you know people doing inspiring things changing their life um and I think that's why I love working in this niche because I get to share those kind of stories that people generally want to hear um but you need to uh you know if you are promoting something that's not as exciting or inspiring there are st- there is still a market for that. You just need to find find where that is, and maybe you might promote um, uh, the founder story. You you as the CEO might have an interesting background of how you got to where you are today, and by someone else reading that, you might inspire them to start their own company or something. So, yeah, it's 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 going to take some time and looking inwards and answering those hard questions. Um, and then doing research and finding what other kind of stories in the media and seeing if you can find any parallels to your story and then experimenting, you know, it doesn't, I'm a publicist, I've been doing it for, you know, a number of years now, but it doesn't always land. Even the best publicists still get ignored and still get rejection. So keep playing around until you get, get a bite. Great. Thank you. Uh, how about, practical hacks for tracking somebody down if you're trying to get somebody's email or a particular journalist in X, Y, or Z publication. And, and yeah, what's your process for finding that person if you can't just find their email address right away or they just have a generic contact form on the magazine's website or whatever? Yeah, look, I've, I, in my experience, contact forms don't normally land your press or get you anywhere far, so I avoid those kind of as much as I can. Um, in saying that, I have landed some podcast interviews for, through the contact form um, when I've got, had no other choice, but I'm, I like to think I'm pretty good at finding the email addresses. As a publicist, we're kind of cheap because we have a database, so we pay access to this database, which then gives us the email address of millions of reporters around the world. Uh Aside from that, there's this one little tool which I love. So, you know, I'll go onto LinkedIn, I'll go onto Facebook, I will go onto Instagram, kind of do, you know, like some stealthy searching there. You sometimes find their email addresses there. If it's not on any of those, then um, there's this program called Signal Hire. It's free. I think you get five free emails a month. And so, yeah, it's signalhire.com. I believe signal hire signal hire yeah um and then it you put in like their LinkedIn name and title and location and it digs it out and nine times out of ten I find their email address on there if I haven't managed to find it anywhere else so it's a it's a good little tool it's a chrome Um, extension 
it is a Chrome extension, but you can also just use it like on Safari on the internet. Um, and I think you have to kind of sign up through Facebook or whatever, but it doesn't cost anything. There is a paid version, I guess, where you would get unlimited searches. Um, so that's kind of like my little secret that I um, that I use last resort. And other than that, I've pretty much found everything I need through that if I haven't found it everywhere else. But also, you know, send them a LinkedIn message, introduce yourself um, and provide thoughtful comments on on their socials don't spam them don't be like love that oh my god same you know but if you can provide something that's educated and thoughtful as commenting to articles that they write or something share their articles um so then they'll see on twitter that you've shared their article do things like that and they'll start to notice you be genuine but yeah great any other resources you want to share that are helpful to people in this realm um, well, as a publicist, I mean, unless you're a publicist, you probably wouldn't bother with this program, but I love Muckrack. Uh, and then there's also Cision, again, outside of us using it, you guys wouldn't go to that expense. Um, what else do I use that would be helpful? I, I mean, I do use a lot of things, but I probably don't even think about it now because I've been doing it for a while. Um, yeah, even if it's like trade publications or anything Yeah, like don't forget about trade publications. They don't seem as sexy, but it's still, you know, there's they've got an audience. Don't forget about podcasts. Podcasts are huge right now and it might not seem like you're reaching the the audience size of CNN or BBC or Fox, whatever, but when you think about it, the the percentage of people that read that those articles that are going to be interested in your story is probably so slim that it might be like, you know, point something of a percent of people that are actually your target audience. Whereas if you get on a podcast that is all about what it is that your business does, then 99% of the audience is probably going to be listening to you and they're going to probably listen to the entire episode. You're going to get like that no like and trust factor built so much faster than if they just read you an article, then they might click on your website, you know, and then they might follow you on socials. But if they've listened to you for an hour and they've they've got to know your personality, you, you can't share those kind of things in an article. So don't discount podcasts. They're super, like, sometimes clients question, like, oh, really, another podcast? I'm like, this is, they're really important. So don't discount them. Um, Thanks. Shout out to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Especially this podcast, like gold. <laughs> I mean, for me, this podcast is gold. This is part of me doing my own PR. I mean, I do love getting on podcasts and sharing my story. It fires me up and I want to You wouldn't just come people. here to meet me? Come on. What's going on here? <laughs> Sorry, no. secret's out. No. But, you know, I do try and do a few podcasts a month because it is great PR for me as well. And it's making those connections. This is a meta example, right? Like here, the conversation we're having, I mean, you're here to provide value. And also people now know of roamgeneration.com, right? Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah, while we're on that, uh, do you want to share? I mean, I just shared the link, but is there anything else you want to share around what you guys do or where people can find you if they have questions or anything like that? Yeah, um, 
So I think a lot of people don't quite understand how PR works. So I'll quickly explain that uh, we work on like a six-month retainer usually. Um, you know, we can do three months if like we absolutely have to, but I say to our clients that really if we only work together for three months, you're leaving money on the table because PR does take time to build that momentum and usually it's around like the three or four-month mark that we start seeing the momentum. So if we end at three months, it's just like we'll get somewhere but not as great as if we had have worked together for six or 12 months. Um, and, yeah, it's like a month-to-month retainer and you pay monthly. Um, so... And it's also like it's – I know people usually have no idea what PR costs um, and just know that we put in a lot of hours, I guess is what I want to say. We usually spend around 20 to 30 hours at least on each of our clients per month. So it's not cheap, unfortunately, but it's – it's extremely worth it and the value that PR provides doesn't just last for that six months or that 12 months. It's it's like usually lasts for the life. Like I've been in um, Condé Nast Traveller and Insider and Forbes and, you know, a stack of publications forevermore that's going to be on the internet and I'm forevermore going to be able to include those logos on my website. So, yes, if I had it paid someone for six months, it might have cost whatever it costs, but the value is like lasting for the life of my business. So what I guess I'm trying to say is it's an investment and it's worthwhile, I believe. <laughs> of course, I'm going to say that, but um, any publicist I think will tell you the same. Like we believe in what we do because it does work. It just isn't an overnight, like you're not going to go viral, but you might. <laughs> yeah. It can happen, but yeah, it can, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Before I let you go, just a couple more things. Thanks for sharing, by the way, and thank, thanks for coming and sharing everything you did today. I wanted to ask about your career change when you went to PR from being a senior analyst at the Department of Defense. And if anybody else out there is listening and they're considering a career change, what, what is your advice? Because that, again, you said a lot of the skills that you built there translate to this, but you could have gone into anything. And sometimes when you have so many options in front of you it's kind of hard to pick one it can be hard to just get your get settled in a new direction that's different from what you've been doing and for people out there that are quitting their jobs and starting something you know it's hard to to go in a different direction sometimes so i just wanted to hear your and i I know you can only speak from your experience but what is your advice around that pivot hmm I think because we were out on the boat and I had time, I had space. I had never actually had a period where I hadn't worked, you know, besides maternity leave, but you've got a newborn and you can't really think straight then anyway. But <laughs> that is work. <laughs> exactly. So I had this time and I knew that our bank account was dwindling and that I wanted to make some money. I also felt like, okay, I haven't worked for 12 months. I would actually like to do something while we're out here. And that's just when I started really leaning into what can I do what value can I bring to people I didn't have a university degree I didn't know what direction to go in you know 
being a security analyst is not that transferable to other things, I didn't think. Um, so I started asking people, what what do you think I'm good at? What can you imagine me doing? And I, at that stage, well, I still do keep a um, Facebook page where I don't do it as often now, but I used to regularly just write about our life and what was happening. And I amassed like these 4,000 followers who were saying things like, we love your writing, we love you, you should write a book, you should write for magazines. And I started going, maybe I can do that. Like, I'm not a good speller. I never thought that I was a good writer, but people are saying that I'm okay at it. Maybe I'll just try it. And that's what I did. Uh, so I, and that led me to, to getting my job in PR. So essentially I started writing for magazines, which led me to interviewing amazing people. I interviewed SV Delos, the number one sailing YouTube channel in the world at the time. And then uh, they asked me to, to work for them in a marketing way and that was going to look like me writing stories about them and pitching them to magazines. After a while I was like, this feels like I'm doing a real job. Is this an actual job? And then I started learning, oh, what I'm doing is PR. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm good at this. I'm like a dog with a bone. I don't like not getting what I want. So I'm the perfect person to do this. I've got my interviewing skills. I've got my writing skills. Um, so I guess my advice is be open to what the universe is presenting to you. And I know that's really woo-woo, but we've experienced it a few times now that sometimes opportunities fall in your lap for a reason and lean into it and see where it takes you. But at the same time, think about what do you love? What are you good at? What are your natural, what's your natural personality? Like my husband shudders at the thought of him having to do my job. Like this would be the last thing that he would ever want to do. Um, so it, does have to be obviously in line with your personality but then I think what he does is like oh my god I would I would hate to do that so it's um it's funny but and I think that's where in the direction we're going now is that we I don't know where we're going to be in six months or 12 months I don't know whether my husband like he's the captain at the moment but we're open to things kind of falling into our lap I don't know does that make you lazy or that you just kind of not being proactive or does that mean that you're really intuitive and thinking about things and like you know when you know the secret when you think positive or think about something you know a new car all of a sudden every car you see is the car that you want type thing I think it opens our mind to opportunities all the time because we're always kind of in the back of our mind thinking well, you know, like I just got a new client the other day called um, Financial Wanderer and he's given me access to do his roadmap, which is taking wanderers like us, teaching us how to trade on the stock market. And it's an $800 course. And in the back of my mind, I thought maybe one day I'd like to do that. We've got our house money just kind of sitting in the bank. What are we going to do with it? And now my husband are like, maybe this has happened for a reason, you know, maybe you could trade stocks. It's not really something we thought of, but we've got this course now and I, my client's going to teach us everything he knows. So, yeah, that's just a little example of just like be open, don't rush it, don't force it, trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, probably isn't right. But if things things fall in your lap for a reason, so run with it, lean into it, run with it, see where it takes you, but don't give up. Yeah, I think intuition can be an underutilized 
asset in people's lives. And that is something important to pay attention to. And I think what you're describing for those that are listening that may be, you know, if you're on the more woo-woo end of the spectrum, you might be open to the universe, might make sense. If you're on the more other side of the spectrum or that other half, I'd say, maybe it's just listening, right? It sounds like you did a lot of listening, especially in the beginning. I think that was great practical advice to just start talking to your friends in your immediate network or people that interact with you on social media or whatever, and li- really listen to what they're saying. Oh, you're a great writer. Oh, you know, ask them, what am I good at? What are, what are the things that you think I'm good at? And, you know, sometimes we need to step outside of ourselves and get the input from other people to get some insights into who exactly. we are. And that could be uncomfortable. Yeah. But- well, we can't let them validate us either. Like that's, that's not, the job, but it's more just like being open and listening, I guess is my point. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like being, it's, it's like get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's a great saying because it's true. Nothing, nothing really changes when you don't do something different. So the minute that we started doing something different, like our lives changed completely and they're so much more fulfilling because when we got off the treadmill, and yeah, like it's uncomfortable a lot of the time and scary and, you know, you don't know where you're going to be next year, but then that's also super exciting. Um, so get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there is a sort of domino effect that takes place when you start taking different actions and sometimes it's almost immediate and other times you have to take a few, plot a few steps down the path before <laughs> different things start happening. But it always does lead to some kind of changes. That's for sure. Last question. When you think back to yourself on the couch, scrolling the phone 15 minutes before that documentary started and you think of yourself now, how have you changed? Like completely and utterly. I, I could have never predicted that I would be here. I think it was about five years ago, six years ago now. Um, yeah, I wonder what I would be like if we, if we didn't watch that documentary. I mean, I'd like to think that something else would have caught our attention and we would have done something else, maybe not equally as crazy because I feel like there's not much a lot crazier than what we're doing. Um, but how have I changed? I believe now that we can pretty much do anything and I know that that sounds a little bit maybe full of myself um but because we've pulled this off and I mean I I say it all the time and maybe I need to not not believe this but I do think that, that we're pretty average you know like average intelligence average education average wealth <laughs> um I feel like if we can do it, so many more people that don't give themselves credit for it could also do this because we, yes, I might be like more determined than the average person or more resilient than the average person, but that's also grown since doing this. So was I like this beforehand? Not necessarily. Um, so it's almost like it's opened up this whole world of possibilities because we've done this one thing. And that's why it's kind of exciting not knowing where we're going to be in a year's time. I think about, you know, if this happened, if I could never have predicted this happening, 
what other crazy things are out there that I'm never going to guess? You know, like I try and think of the most random crazy things. I said to my husband one day, maybe we'll, we'll like ride motorbikes across Africa one day or, you know, you think of random things and you're like, well, why, why not? I could never sail and then we start across an ocean. I can't ride a motorbike, but, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's empowering. It's, it is. It really is. Yeah, wonderful. Congratulations to you and your family for everything that you guys have accomplished, have done, going out there, you're living the life. I can't imagine. I'm thinking about your kids in class right now, having no clue what anybody's (laughs) saying around them. (laughs) Poor buggers. Aren't I terrible? I'm a horrible mother. No, I think it's reminding them. (laughs) You'll thank me one day. You'll thank me for this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know, all of this stuff prepares them for for the world they're going to be adults in so um it all plays in and and just uh really appreciate you sharing your experiences here today and your advice as an expert in pr so we'll uh include all the various links in the show notes thanks for your time and hey come sailing up to norway someday oh my god it's cold enough here in sicily i can't imagine what it must be like (laughs) sailing up there but you know i'm feeling more intrigued by the cold places we've done lots of beaches so you never say never hey that's that's my new motto, never say never. <laughs> yeah, listen, when I uh, if I'm talking my wife into buying a sailboat in the next week and a half, I'll be hitting you up again to get some advice there. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and honestly, besides PR, if people are interested in like our life, you know, anything but PR, still reach out to me because I always get messages and I love to be able to help people and know that I've had this like tiny little part in um, them doing something crazy as well and it doesn't have to be sailing it can be anything but if you need some inspiration or advice reach out because i love to help people in that sense as well amazing thanks aaron thank you so much jason take care you too there you have it thank you very much aaron for stopping by sharing your wisdom your expert advice loved having that chat and hearing about boat life. (laughs) Always fascinating to me. What is it like to live on a boat? I got to have a little taste of that today and you did as well. I hope you enjoyed it. And I wanted to share a couple things that I took away from this interview. One, just that power of travel, the, 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 the ability of travel to unleash your potential, unleash your inner explorer, And it really can kind of instill a certain level of confidence and open up that that freedom. At least it did for me. And it sounds like for Aaron, based on this conversation, when I did that first solo trip that changed my life, I just felt like I could do anything. Well, if I can do this, I can I can solo travel here, I can I can I can go there, I can take on this adventure, and it all seemed so open and possible. And sometimes that doesn't come until after you have the experience. Some people maybe have that confidence right away. Others maybe have to have some experiences to get that confidence. And it was just a reminder of, of how travel has that ability to, to unleash that potential. I, I love that. And also a reminder of one thing I really love about having your own business, lifestyle business, whatever you want to call it, is getting to choose who you serve. And you can see that with Erin. I mean, she has a, this PR company but she could serve any number of organizations, people, entities, but she's choosing to stay in travel, something she knows, something she loves. 
And there's a lot of power in that as well. When you're really intentional with who you choose to serve, you can get to put yourself in circles uh, that you want to be in. And that makes can make all the difference in the world. So that was something that also kind of stuck out to me and something I took away from this interview as a nice reminder. Now, I wanted to share a snippet of a little voicemail I got from a listener that brought me to tears. I want to thank Holly for taking the time to leave this message. Play it for you now. Hi, Jason. My name is Holly, and I recently found your podcast. I'm in the Northwest. I have a huge desire to travel more, and I just don't know how. And these stories about people who are just from a beginner's mindset, um, yeah, it just really inspires me. And I feel like in a way I may may have found my people, just people that are aware that um, value adventure and connection, community, those kinds of things. And so it just shed like so much hope and light into my life. And I just wanted to say thank you. Holly, you have indeed found your people. <laughs> thank you so much for the heartfelt message. And that's what this is all about, right? This is a community-powered show. I say it time and time again. The show's for you. So uh, please, uh, let's make it a community. You can leave me a message anytime like Holly did. You can get in touch Jason at zerototravel.com. Recommend guests. Um, and anything you want to share. Always love to make this a two-way conversation. And uh, I just want to thank Holly for reminding me of why I do this. This really is why <laughs> I'd make this show and have been doing it for eight years. So thanks, Holly. Congratulations. Keep us posted. I know you got some great things planned. I'm sure of it. And you're just diving in now. It's a lot to, a lot to uncover here at the Zero to Travel podcast. So I'm curious uh, to get a follow-up from you at some point to hear uh, about your first trip or your next trip, I should say. So keep in touch. Let me know what's going on. Now, let me dig into the quote drawer here and see what we got for you as we wrap this one up. Another one in the books. Thanks for listening. And this quote's coming from Swami Rama, who said, you really do not need to know many things, but you definitely need to practice what you know. And there you go. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.